Good morning. The scripture reading for today is found in Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 25, through the sixth chapter, verse 10. If you'd like to follow along, it's printed on page six of your bulletins. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Nos lleve a irritarnos y a envidiarnos unos a los otros. Hermanos, si alguien es sorprendido en pecado, ustedes que son espirituales deben restaurarlo con una actitud humilde. Pero cuídense cada uno porque también puede ser tentado. Ayúdense unos a otros a llevar sus cargas y así cumplirán la ley de Cristo. Si alguien cree ser algo cuando en realidad no es nada, se engaña a sí mismo. Cada cual examine su propia conducta, y si tiene algo de qué presumir, que no se compare con nadie, que cada uno cargue con su propia responsabilidad. El que recibe instrucción en la palabra de Dios, compártela todo lo bueno con quien le enseña. No se engañen, de Dios nadie se burla. Cada uno cosecha lo que siembra. El que siembra para agradar a su naturaleza pecaminosa, de esa misma naturaleza cosechará destrucción. El que siembra para agradar al Espíritu, del Espíritu cosechará vida eterna. No nos cansemos de hacer el bien, porque a su debido tiempo cosecharemos si no nos damos prevencidos. Por lo tanto, siempre que tengamos la oportunidad, hagamos bien a todos, y en especial a los de la familia de la fe. We are nearing the end of our study of the book of Galatians, and we've got one more sermon left in the series, one more study of this final chapter of Galatians coming next week. So this is a second to last, but thank God for the good time we've had so far. Uh, One more to go. Let me say a word of prayer and ask God's blessing upon this time. God, we need you. We really do. Because the biggest challenge for us right now is not just intellectual comprehension. It's not just our heads. It's our hearts. It's the ways that we want to dodge you, especially when you're going right for something that we don't want to give up. The ways that we have a hard time believing in your deep and unchanging love. 
the way that we resist uh, loving other people. Uh, different blockages, different barriers. By the power of your spirit and with your word, remove it. Clear the way. So we're looking forward to what you're going to do. How are you going to speak to us? Speak now, Lord. We're listening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've seen the pictures, I imagine. Uh, You've heard the stories. Stories of the incredible minutes, even seconds immediately after the bombs on Boylston Street in Boston went off. These stories of courage and heroic self-sacrifice. How people, without even thinking twice, immediately ran towards the wreckage and carnage rather than away from it. Casting off all concern for personal safety Because remember, at that moment, you just didn't know what was going to happen next. People applying makeshift tourniquets, using their own hands to stop the bleeding of the victims. Comforting people while waiting for the ambulances. The stories of humility. People who did all these things absolutely deflecting credit and praise shrugging their shoulders, saying again and again, what else could I do? The stories of teamwork, everyone giving whatever they had, chipping in, helping out whoever they were. People who jumped in to start directing traffic in those moments of chaos. Marathon runners, as we've heard, who crossed the finish line and then kept on running straight to hospitals in order to donate blood. Boston residents who opened their homes to strangers, runners, with nowhere else to go. And then also stories of people caring for each other, not just with their hands, but also with their words. Moving story that I encountered, a story of a young woman who was just half a mile away from the finish line when the bombs went off, and of course, in that moment... She stops, and all she cares about is finding her family, which was somewhere in the crowds. She eventually does find out that they were safe. But in the chaos of it all, a few minutes later, an older couple passes by, and they ask her if she's okay. She replies, yes. And then the gentleman also asks, this gentleman who finished the race earlier, asked if she had finished, and when she told him that she had not, he took his medal, his finisher's medal, and put it around her neck and said, you are a finisher in my eyes. Care from the heart and care from our words. What we saw and what we heard about, dear friends, is a powerful picture and powerful stories of really what community ought to be like. What relationships should look like and feel like when they work right with compassion and self-sacrifice, with servanthood, putting other people first, with teamwork and with caring words and 
caring actions. I think in moments like this, what God kind of gives us in his grace is a little glimpse in a moment of crisis, a little glimpse of what our relationships could be like, should be like, and not just in crisis, but all the time. And not just when people are watching, but when no one else is watching, and certainly when no one is bleeding. Do you long for community like that? Do you long for partnership like that? Do you long to be able to sacrifice and love and care like that? Which is exactly what the Apostle Paul is inviting us into, reminding us time and again that it's not natural. In fact, maybe that's why it only seems to pop up in broader society in moments of crisis, because it really takes some real internal electricity to get our love moving, to get our hearts burning with care and other-centered concern. That it really takes something special, which is exactly what the Apostle tells us God gives us by giving us nothing less than the Holy Spirit Himself. The power of God, the presence of God in our lives by the grace of God given to us through His Son, Jesus. If you've been with us, you understand that for the last several months we've been studying about the ways that Paul says that Jesus, by dying and rising again for us, unlocks our hearts. All the self-centeredness and me-centered energy and concern forgiving our sins, cleansing us of our guilt, setting our hearts free so that we might finally, and maybe for the first time, be able to love people truly for their good and truly from our hearts. And Paul is still in the middle of explaining what that love looks like and how the Spirit of God changes our relationships. So quickly, what we're just going to look at and finding in this passage, what we're going to see are four practices of loving, spirit-led community. Four practical things that we all ought to be doing in our relationships if the grace of God is indeed impacting our lives. All right? Four practices, four things. Number one, stop comparing and stop loving. Stop comparing, start loving. Paul tells us this in chapter 5, verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. In verse 4, below that, each one should test their own actions. uh, Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. What's one of the biggest but often not really tackled cancers that kill relationships in community? It's this habit that we all have of constantly looking around and comparing ourselves to other people. Done that lately? Maybe even in the last few minutes, certainly since you've walked in the door, perhaps. How does that person look? Do I look better? Do I look worse? Have that person talking? Does that person have a better job than me, worse job than me, make more money than me, make less money than me? 
Are they nicer than me? Are they more impressive than me? Do they have more friends than me? Do they seem more comfortable than me? Yes or no? Who are they? Who am I? And we can be so obsessed. In fact, we can even be defined by how we see ourselves in relation to other people. Paul says the reason for this is because we are conceited. It's our pride. We're just so full of ourselves that we can't look at another person without seeing a reflection of ourselves in them. You can't just look at a person and love them or just look at them. Everywhere you go, it's like there's this lens and I see me everywhere I look and in every face I look. Sometimes you look out and you like what you see because you feel like you're better than they are. That results in what Paul describes here as provoking one another. Literally, that word means calling another person out. Why? Because you feel superior. I'm looking down on you. I've assessed you. And now I've decided, I've concluded, I'm better than you. Or the flip side, maybe I assess you and I realize you're better than me. And what's the result of that? The apostle says it's envy. Where I'm looking up at the person and I think, wow, I wish I was more like they are. God knew I would be preaching on this issue of envy. And so he made sure that this past week I'd have a meeting with 15 pastors in a room. Looking across the table and wonderful men who are doing good work. Men and women that are doing great ministry. And just noticing the, the, just the, the little movement in my heart. And just that line between gratitude, admiration for a person, their gifts, the way God is using them, that just momentarily tilts in the direction of, oh my gosh, they're better than I am. You ever feel that? You walk into your apartment building, maybe you notice someone, you walk into a classroom, you walk into a workplace setting. And I'm looking across the table and I see Aaron Graham of the district church and just appreciating his community organizing abilities. Notice Dave and Joel Schmidgall of National Community Church meets across the street here and just loving their sort of easygoing, disarming way of relating to people, relating to me. Or just appreciating seeing our Grace DC Church planter, Russ Whitfield, who's also in the room and just so grateful again for his winsome energy and enthusiasm. Just a little part of me that says, man, get me a little bit of that. Envy. Which you know Paul is telling us is actually a form of pride. You ever think about it that way? Pride. See, we don't think it's pride because we feel so weak when we're envying other people, when we're jealous. But what is the heart of envy saying, but I deserve more than I've already got. I deserve better than I have. Give me a little bit of that. Envy feels sorry for itself 
But deep down, there's actually a raging pride thing going on. Do you see it in your heart? And you see how this kills relationships. Because you can't love a person you're envying. They're the competition. You can't rejoice when they do well. You're hoping they won't. And when they screw up, you're kind of glad about the way that it makes you feel about yourself. The grace of God humbles us because it reminds us that we're wretched sinners that deserve nothing from God, which then starts to make us a little bit more content with what we have and who we are and able to rejoice in who other people are. And being able to say, I'm glad I am me, and I'm glad he is he, and she is she. Where you can rejoice in each other's successes, and when you can grieve together in each other's failures. Stop comparing and start loving. Number two, don't lift the heavy stuff alone. Don't lift... The heavy stuff alone. Verse 2 of chapter 6, Paul says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I want to ask you to visualize something. That as you look around this room and as you talk to people, maybe as you get up from worship in a few minutes, or interact with each other, or leave this room, or if you come back in the future. And you see people talking and walking around and seeming like they're functioning all right, maybe in some cases not so much the case. People are laughing and smiling, going about their business, maybe even talking to you. But I want you to put your Galatians 6 goggles on. might call them burden goggles. And be able to visualize... Every single person around you carrying on their backs a big, fat, heavy load of who knows what. But I think you know what in your own life. This expectation that Paul leads us to here to look out and to know That to be human and to live in a fallen world means to live carrying heavy burdens. Maybe spiritual, maybe emotional, maybe physical. Maybe some brokenness in your life, maybe a broken relationship. Maybe it's joblessness, maybe you can't make ends meet today. Maybe your family's so screwed up you don't know what to turn to. Or maybe you're so scared and lonely That's why you're here today. Every one of us are carrying a burden. For some people, it's a big old massive thing that they can barely even stand up. So hunched over. Can you picture that around you? Other people, it's not so bad. You know, a little thing, maybe today, maybe in the future, it'll be a big thing. Maybe right now, it's not so big. Just maybe a little tiny little backpack. You know, maybe like one of those little black backpacks that girls used to wear in the 90s all the time. (laughs) Maybe that's all they got today. And that's all right. Don't mean to impose or to over-dramatize. 
But look, everyone's carrying a burden. And this is what Paul is saying. None of us, none of us were meant to carry it by ourselves. You all got one. Who's carrying it with you? And whose are you going to carry? That's the question. As one theologian put it, commenting on this passage, human friendship in which we bear one another's burdens is part of the purpose of God for his people. So we should not keep our burdens to ourselves, but rather seek a Christian friend who will help to bear them with us. And you say, well, why, why this emphasis on Christian friend and a Christian person? What's so unique about that? Isn't that something we're all to do? But understand the story of the good news of God's grace is that Jesus has removed the greatest burden of all from your back. Which is the weight of your sin and guilt, which you had to carry yourself before the judgment of God. And he took it upon himself, dying for your sin, dying for your selfish heart, dying for your lovelessness. He took it upon himself and lightened your load. That doesn't mean that you don't still have burdens remaining spiritual, emotional, physical, or otherwise. But this much it does mean you've got room on your back. You've got space on your shoulders. And you've got a little bit of bend in your knees because of what Jesus has done for you. So what are you going to put on your back? And whose are you going to put on your back? And sometimes, of course, we got to let people do that for us. <laughs> the greatest blockage to this burden-bearing love and carrying life together is our pride. You hear the theme? It's our pride. Paul gets to this in verse 3. He says, look, if anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. You think you're all that? What's he saying? Well, sometimes we don't want to stoop and help someone because we're too proud. I'm above that. They can't interrupt my important schedule. You know, I'm too busy. My life is too significant to slow down or to let go of this opportunity or that thing or whatever. Pride. Or the person that is so in love with their image of self-sufficiency. You know, you feel like, I can't be weak. I can't show anyone my weakness. Pride gets in the way of burden sharing. So what's one area in your life, friends? What's one burden in your life that you've been trying to carry yourself that today... You need to go to a friend. Today, you need to get on the phone. Or talk over lunch or dinner. Or sometime this week and say to them, I can't do this on my own. I need you. Can you please carry this together with me? Or is there someone in your life where you have been noticing that they are carrying a very large load? Or maybe even a small load, but they're carrying it on their own. Whose life can you enter into and say, dear friend, can I shoulder that heavy weight together with you? Who's it going to be?
Who's it going to be? Number three. Number three. Tell me when I'm screwing up, please. (laughs) Tell me when I'm screwing up, please. Verse one. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. I'm thinking about a time years ago when I was hanging with a friend. Spent a good amount of time together in a group. And the next day, caught up with that same friend, and she was just irate, laughing, but mad. And she said, because she went home and she looked in the mirror and she realized she had a big fat, I don't know what, stuck in her teeth. And she said, you hung out with me for the whole afternoon and you didn't say anything to me. You ever been in that situation? You know what I'm talking about? And you're mad at that friend for not being a friend, right? Because you're moving around the whole city together, smiling, laughing and showing your teeth and no one said anything. Right? You ever been there on either side of that? She was mad at me, so we get into this big philosophical discussion, right? Are you a true friend uh, if you see a piece of food stuck in my teeth and you don't say anything? You know, are you a true friend? Or how close a friend do you have to be or ought you to be to speak up in that situation? Paul asks us a similar but slightly different, slightly more serious question. Are you a true family member, true brother or sister in Jesus? If you see a piece of selfishness stuck in my life and you don't say anything. If you notice an area of sin or an area of self-centeredness that's visible to us all and maybe even to me. And you're not saying anything. See, we're talking about when someone is stuck in this cycle of, well, mine-itis. We talked about that last week, right? Stealing from this idea from Sesame Street. This spiritual disease, which Paul here calls the flesh. This disease where everything revolves around me and where selfishness drives everything that I am and everything that I do. Mine, mine, mine. It's what the Bible calls sin. And when someone's stuck in some cycle or you see something flare up in your life, Paul is saying, look, the call here is not to condemn or to scorn or to gossip. Nor is the call here just to ignore the person and stand around and do nothing or even just to run straight to church leadership so they can take care of the issue. Here's the call that once in a while and maybe not all the time, but once in a while that we need to approach each other and say, hey, I love you. I love you. And I've been noticing that the choices you've been making are harmful. I love you, and I've been noticing that you've been giving in to peer pressure. I've been noticing that your temper has become really destructive. I've been noticing that your constant hooking up with people on the weekend is just harming you and others. And it's wrong. 
I've been noticing that the way you're talking about the poor in your life, or maybe the way you're talking about people that have a lot of stuff, is unloving. Can we talk? You see, Paul makes a couple things very clear here. The goal is not simply to rebuke people, tell them off. It's to restore them. To bring them back into a fresh experience of the grace of God. Which means you're not just coming in to yell at them about the wrong they're doing. You're coming to reassure them of all the right that Jesus has done for them. We need to redefine accountability, folks. It's not just policing each other's lives. It's urging each other to believe the good news of God's grace. And to come in and restore them to God and the gospel and to restore them to one another in relationship. Because truth be told, usually when we're screwing up, we're running away. To restore for their good as an act of love. And we're to do this with gentleness and humility. Going to them as a, guess what? A fellow sinner. This is what Paul means when he says, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. And the specific temptation that it seems Paul has in mind is spiritual pride. Right? Because when you're talking to someone about the ways that they're screwing up, it's easy to start to feel a little self-righteous. I'm doing all right. Paul says, watch out. You can't have that conversation rightly unless you're low to the ground as a fellow beggar hungry for the good news of God's love. And so you speak gently and humbly. And it's hard to do. And we don't do this. We just don't. I mean, Christians in community really do struggle with this, right? We do. And as I talk to people about, hey, you know, let's press in into each other's lives for each other's sake and love, you know, the two most common reasons that I hear for why we hesitate to do this are these. Uh, First of all, a lot of people say, I don't want to be judgmental. Listen, being judgmental has to do with attitude and tone. If you're coming in with arrogance, if you're coming in saying, I'm right and you're wrong and I'm tearing you down, that sort of aroma of self-righteousness that infects these kinds of conversations, that's wrong. Flip back one paragraph, Paul talked about this. We looked at it last week. If the Spirit of God is alive in you, you should be bearing what? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. I'm missing one. What is it? Right? Gentleness. That was almost like an intentional setup, but it wasn't. Gentleness. A fruit of the Spirit. Being judgmental is a real problem. And God addresses that. And this passage addresses that. But in love, telling a person or reminding them or pointing out to them that they're on a bad path or that they're harming themselves or that they're giving God the bird is not being judgmental. It's being loving. It's stepping in and saying, I care about you too much 
to let you go on your way. The second thing that people often say is, but I don't know the person well enough. And I think there's something good in our relationships these days, in this generation, where we realize you do have to have some relational cred to step into a person and have a good, honest conversation. But I think we take it too far. Because it's almost like we set the bar so high that no one has a right to say anything unless basically you are that person. Which, by the way, is how a lot of us actually live. No one has a right to tell me about what I'm doing and how I'm living, but me. (laughs) But guess what? I don't know the person well enough. Paul says, your family. Your family. He opens up by saying, brothers and sisters. In Jesus, you are a part of a family. You may not be best friends, but you don't need to be to approach a person in love. Your family. And to not say anything and not to approach and to not address is to be not loving at all. It's actually to be an enabler. Sort of passively letting people go on their own way even as we see that piece of whatever stuck in their spiritual teeth. Tell them so. Is there a person in your life that you need to speak to today? Oh, yes, humbly, it better be that way. And oh, yes, gently, Paul doesn't let us get away with it. There is no gift of confrontation, all right? (laughs) Is there someone in your life that you've been sidestepping and not having an honest conversation with? Or if someone approaches you or has approached you, and you've stiff-armed them or even yelled at them and shut them out. Do you hear God saying, there's another way? And it's for your life and for your restoration. Lastly, number four, do good to all. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to move through this quickly. We have plenty to apply and think through and talk through, but... The apostle in verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I'd love to welcome you all, our church, to making this season, these warmer days in the spring and summer through the fall, a season of doing good one to another, and in the local community. It's part of the reason why we have kicked off this season with the neighborhood Easter party and trying to build new relationships with neighbors and fling our doors wide open to folks. Part of the reason why we want to encourage people to learn about neighborhood history because you can't love well unless you know your neighbors and you can't know your neighbors well unless you know where they're coming from. History helps, helps us love well. And why we want to do a number of things in the local community and build up this ethos and commitment to do good for the good of our neighbors, whether or not they believe in what we believe and whether or not people are immediately a part of our church community. That's our main and ultimate desire to share life together in intimacy. But to invite all of us to renewed energy to do good to meet material and social 
in spiritual needs, to not neglect the needs of the church community. Paul says that, right? Start with a family of faith. Care for those immediately around you, those who are brothers and sisters. But don't be weary in doing good to all. A beautiful time of year, an inviting time of year for us to extend ourselves outward and to run with all the energy of the love of God for us. To love those as we've been loved. This is what God is doing in our midst, building a loving community by the power of the Spirit, the supernatural power of the gospel. Will you let it take root and have impact in your life? Will you? Will you? Let's pray. God, we're simultaneously um, challenged and encouraged by the call you've put before us, but also the invitation to a, a great imagination of how we can actually love radically and relate to one another differently. But we still need your help. So please help us for our good, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together.